I'm San Francisco Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and you're listening to Fifth Admission. None of San Francisco's 52,000 public school kids have seen the inside of a classroom for nearly a year. But on Wednesday, Superintendent Vince Matthews gave reporters a tour of what a reopened elementary school will look like. Chronicle reporter Jill Tucker was there and describes what kids will see when they eventually return. That probably won't be at least for two more months, though. In the meantime, some children are suffering immensely with distance learning. Families report their kids are refusing to get out of bed, have stopped engaging with Zoom school, and are even hurting themselves in some cases. Jill, one of the busiest reporters at The Chronicle, has another story out now on sfchronicle.com outlining the difficulties many kids are facing during the pandemic. Jill Tucker, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. You are very busy. I swear you have a new story out on the schools every five minutes. <laughs> it has been very busy lately. There is a lot of news on schools <laughs> and kids and families and reopening or not reopening as the case may be. Exactly. Well, let's go through some of it now. You have a new story up on sfchronicle.com. You spent um, part of your day at Sunset Elementary School in San Francisco with the superintendent of schools, Vince Matthews, and Gabriela Lopez, the president of the Board of Education. What were they doing at Sunset Elementary? So they were uh, basically rolling out one of the first schools in the city that's ready to reopen. Um, There are about six elementary schools that have gone through pretty much the full process, um, getting permission from Uh, the health department, having everything in place like social distancing and, you know, whatever else, uh, you know, is required like hand sanitizer and um, all all of those types of things that schools need to reopen. Um, And so it was, it was, you know, the first, the first chance to see how the district will implement, what it will look like for, for kids to be in those classrooms, how far apart the desks are, all the little uh, stickers on the ground, you know, showing six feet apart, the kind that we see at grocery stores and things like that. Um, and, and so they were kind of showing off how far they've come. Um, but again, it's only one of six schools in the district that are, are ready for reopening. They plan to roll out more soon. Um, but, you know, it was the first step uh, in seeing kids go back, although the reality is we're probably not going to see kids in those seats for at least two months at Sunset Elementary mm-hmm. or or any other school in the district. There's still a long way to go in terms of labor agreements and all of the uh, boxes to check off to get kids back in, in those seats. Mm-hmm. So I know you've spent a lot of your career um, at schools. Can you describe how Sunset Elementary looked different than your typical elementary school? Like what could you tell um was going to be different when it eventually does open. Yeah, you know, I think the reality is in the schools that I've been to, um, including Sunset, that have been revamped uh, for pandemic mode, you know, they really still look like a school, uh, you know, to be to be sure. Um, you know, there's still whiteboards, there's still books, there are still things like that. But I think the things that are different are there are a million signs on the walls and everywhere talking about masks and social distancing. Um, there's those stickers on the ground in the hallways, in the classrooms, in the bathrooms. 
rooms out in the playground, um, you know, for kids to, to keep separate when they're lining up or whatever. They have um, cones set up on the playground um, that are different colors uh, in circles so that kids will know where to play with their cohort. You know, so there's mm. little things like that, but, you know, and, and they also have every water fountain blocked off because obviously you don't want to share that. Um, they have a lot of areas that are sort of covered or blocked um, shelves and books and other supplies so that kids aren't touching um, all the same things. Um, you know, there's hand sanitizer everywhere. Um, you know, they have to go through a particular gate and sort of be vetted before they can go in, you know, for, for how they're feeling and, and all of those types of things. So it, it's the little things. And I think it'll, you can see it a lot more when the kids are there because it's more of a behavior mm-hmm. thing rather than necessarily how this, the school actually looks. But once you see kids sort of lining up spaced apart and always wearing masks and, you know, maybe 12 kids in a classroom, then you can really start seeing what it actually looks like to have all those things in place. And I know the goal is to have some kids um, attend school for six weeks before the end of school on June 2nd. Um, And how many kids will that encompass and what grades and what is the goal? Well, you know, that's still all being worked out. While the unions came to an agreement with the district on health and safety requirements in terms of when they can go, when they can reopen and whether vaccines will be needed for teachers, they're still working out what the school day will look like and and which kids that'll apply to. And so we don't have all those answers yet for San Francisco. So, you know, the, the union's looking at two days a week for each student and mornings only, while the district is looking for at least two days a week and all day. Um, you know, but the reality is they're, they're still working all of that out. And right now they're really looking at it for, for elementary grade students. And, and it it's it's unclear um, whether, still unclear whether middle school and high school students will get back uh, this academic year. It seems unlikely at this point, given the pace of things. Um, You know, if only six schools are ready now and the district has over, you know, 117 or more um, sites, um, they have a long Mm -hmm. way to go, right? (laughs) That's that's a lot of schools to get ready and go through the process in – you know, if they're looking at six weeks, they just, you know, they they basically have a couple months to, to reopen before they get to that point. Why has it taken nearly a year just to get six of the 117 or however many schools there are ready? Well, you know, that's the $64 million question. I, <laughs> you know, I, I, the reality is, let's be clear, San Francisco is not alone. You know, there are yeah. many, many districts, public districts across the state that are not open. And, um, and, and the reality is I think early on in the spring, folks had no idea what was going to happen. I think everybody assumed kids would be back in the fall. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, so they were not necessarily checking to see if windows opened or, you know, putting stickers on the ground or whatever else they had to do. And then, um, and then in the fall, I think they did start looking at all of these things, but there was still, there still wasn't a lot of clarity on exactly what they should or needed to do uh, based on county guidelines, state guidelines, labor negotiations, all of those things. So, I mean, they did say today that they have inspected 15,000 windows, um, you mm-hmm. know, uh, for to see if they're opening. Again, you know, it wouldn't take a year to do that. 
but it, it it's you know it, it it really is i think um you know this pandemic is just not predictable and i don't think that there were super solid plans of exactly what needed to happen and what it would look like um you know when you go through sunset elementary you kind of look at it and go well, this looks pretty easy, you know, to set yeah. all of this up. But you really kind of have to have a plan. You have to have the supplies. You have to have the manpower. And, of course, these are people that are working during a pandemic. Um, so you have to have the agreements with labor unions, even for the custodians or other people that are working. Um, it's complicated. I mean, to be to be sure, it's complicated. I think it's hard for people to look at cities like New York that are open and not sort of go, well, gosh, if New York can do it with a million kids, like, why can't we do it with 50,000 kids? So, um, you know, but New York is different. They have a mayor appointed chancellor. Um, You know, they don't have to deal with all of the politics, even though they do have Mm -hmm. union negotiations. It's, It's just a different scenario, different politics. The virus has been different there. So it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, they're just a lot of, of, uncertainties and unknowns and differences in location and buildings and all of those things to sort of standardize that. But the reality is it's hard not to be jealous of places that are open like New York, um, you know, if for folks in San Francisco, for sure. We'll be right back after a short break. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited Chronicle access at sfchronicle.com slash pod. I know you've written recently about um, the agreement that has been reached tentatively with the union, which is um, to go back if everybody's vaccinated in the red tier or um, in the orange tier if they're not fully vaccinated. But there's still a big question mark about what schedules will look like and what the hours will be for kids and what grades and everything else. Um, There was a kind of freak out among parents (laughs) last week when they saw – a look at what the union was proposing. Um, can you describe that and, and if that's going to be what parents should expect? For the educational day? Uh, yes. Yeah. So, it, yeah, they're talking about, you know, just two hours, two days a week for each child and two two hours or morning um, for the kids. And obviously that is not a lot. Um, and I, I think, you know, as many parents told me um, that it would be actually harder to drop a kid off for two two hours, two days a week, or the yeah. you know with work schedules and all of that, than than to actually send them back. Um, and so I, you know we'll we'll see a lot of these negotiations. We we don't know in real time what the proposals are. Um, you know, to, to a certain degree, they keep the lid on that as they negotiate. Um, but, uh, I think the district is hoping for longer than that. The reality is hybrid schedules typically are two days a week, uh, for each family, you know, so that ultimately you have half the kids two days a week, half the other half of the kids, the uh, two days a week, and then a work day or an online day, distance day, you know, say on a Wednesday, um, for, for everyone. Um, so there's only four in-person days and that's split you know, between the groups. Um, but I think the real issue is whether it's a full day or a half day, uh, you know, and the reality is there are some districts right now, like Mill Valley, that are looking to go back full time with all kids on campus at the same time in mid-April, as long as yeah. teachers are vaccinated. They're already open, um, you know, to hybrid learning. 
Uh, but mm-hmm. but uh, they're they're looking to go back, you know, full blown, full time, all kids. Um, wow. You know, so so really, we we do see a lot of differences. Um, you know, depending on the districts, depending on um, you know whatever circumstances, you you just have some districts that have more faith in the the health officials and the safety precautions, and you know they've been back for months, and then you have others like San Francisco and Oakland and others where they just are not trusting, you know, the, the advice and the guidelines and are, are looking for more stringent health and safety standards, as well as uh, much more limited time with the kids. And what do we know about next year? I know parents are already bracing for August in San Francisco and what that might look like. Yeah, we just don't. And I hate saying that because I feel like I should know. <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> I thought you knew everything. I know, I know. Um, the problem is all that's still up for bargaining and depends on the pandemic, right? So the reality is the the health and safety guidelines negotiated in San Francisco will stand for next year. So let's say you know, God forbid the pandemic surges and we're back in the red or we're back in the purple, then, you know, these these health and safety guidelines would still apply. I don't think anyone expects that because people will be mm-hmm. vaccinated. Um, you know, we expect to have all adults vaccinated. I asked actually the the, the uh, superintendent and, um, and the school board president, uh, Lopez, you know, if they thought kids would be back full time five days a week in the fall. And, and basically, of course, they said, well, that's the goal. But it mm-hmm. it depends. Um, I do think depending on whether kids are vaccinated or not, um, by then if they get the approval and there's enough vaccine, um, I think you know we we could still see masks. We could still see you know some either cohorts or social distancing. I I I, I doubt that we'll see a lot of hybrid scheduling, but I think that that's still a still very much a possibility. And I know that there's been um, a lot of frustration among some families over the school board's focus on other matters. And um, you also announced today in your 17,000 stories up on sfchronicle.com right now <laughs> that uh, <laughs> that there's some movement um, among parents and others. Uh, talk to me about the poll and the political action committee that are forming? Yeah, I mean, so we're definitely seeing the frustration in San Francisco and other places really just, you know, starting to boil over. And we there's a poll out this week that is asking parents what they think of the school board, whether they would support an appointed board versus an elected board, uh, as we have now. And, and then there's a, a group forming a political action committee and their, you know, their first priority is to basically quote do something about the school board, right? And <laughs> and they're not quite sure what that is, but they're sort of, you know, everything's kind of on the table from recall to changing, you know, the makeup of the board or or how they uh who's on the board whether it's appointed um or or you know that type of thing. I think people are frustrated. I think they feel that the board um doesn't necessarily have the professional experience to understand everything. Um you know the the current school board president is gosh i i i'm not i think she's 30 she may be a little mm-hmm. little younger than that but um you know so these are these are um you know a lot of the board members are fairly inexperienced there's not there aren't a lot of veterans on the board right now that have been around for years and years um and so it it's um and they're all uh, endorsed by the the teachers union so, you know, mm-hmm. as many politicians in San Francisco are. So you just have a very different type of, of school board than some are talking about, you know, that maybe an appointed board would 
you know, have a broader representation of voices, whether that's from the business community or parents or, you know, what other, uh, other types of communities might be out there that could, um, create a board that, that was, had a broader perspective. Um, Mm-hmm. So that's what we're seeing from from some of these folks. We'll see where it goes. You know, I mean, a recall would take a really long time. Um, so that's perhaps not, um, you know, there's there's no quick fixes for this um, from the, you know, according to the people that are doing these things. Um, but they, I think the frustration has reached such a point that they're willing to look at the long ball, right? Like to to really look ahead and say, what do we need to do to either make sure you know, we have um, re- the representation that we want in the future or, you know, something along those lines. So we'll see. They've just, mm-hmm. they're just starting to form. There's just starting to be some really tangible actions and we'll be following them. I, I, I'll be following them. <laughs> <laughs> you sure will. <laughs> I also wanted to, to ask you, I think some of the frustration comes from comments that some board members have made. I mean, they've been all over the media, all over the country, um, and some international coverage as well. Um, they've made some comments about, you know, that families and kids are just having a different sort of experience right now, or that um, the school closures are not causing growing opportunity gaps or mental health issues, which just doesn't jibe with the reality that so many families are are facing. Um, and you have another story out um, about how challenging it is for some kids and families right now. And I wondered if you could describe what you are hearing, you know, what is happening in some homes around San Francisco? Yeah, so the story Wednesday really was um, kind of a gut-wrenching story to report because I talked to so many families um, about their experiences and teachers, um, you know, from distance learning and and what that looks like. And, um, you know, what families have been seeing since last March, you know, for a year now, um, the data and research is really um, coming in and confirming. And, you know, we're seeing a lot more kids in – um, emergency rooms with mental health issues, you know, where they're cutting themselves or they have suicide ideation, um, or, you know, other types of issues, depression, um, and, you know, kids who were outgoing in school who are now, um, you know, getting or failing and can't, don't want to get out of bed and are sleeping a lot and their families can't get them out of their rooms and, or they're not showering, you know, all of these types of stories that I'm hearing, they're just gut-wrenching. And certainly Mm -hmm. it's not every family's experience. There are some kids that are thriving in distance learning, but the reality is there are, the research is showing us that there is learning loss. It's disproportionate among English learners, low-income students, students of color, um, versus um, white, Asian, and wealthier kids. Although in San Francisco, we are seeing learning loss among Asian kids as well. Um, and so it's just the the when you look at the health statistics, when you look at the academic data, um, when you talk to health professionals, and then when you talk to families, it, it it's all you know they're all saying the same thing, which is that there is a devastating effect for many kids uh, from distance learning, and that you know and that that's separate from you know, other traumas and other things that they're experiencing, which only add to that, you know, a death in the family or poverty and hunger, you know, increased because of job loss, all of those types of things. But the reality is, you know, good students that were thriving, that have family support systems even, are are floundering and are, you know, basically hiding under the covers and flunking. And it, it's yeah. just, uh, it's a gut punch, you know, and I think, 
what health professionals are saying in terms of reopening schools is that we have to look at that as part of the equation too. Mm-hmm. And that when you're talking about essential workers, when you're talking about the impact on society, that in-person instruction reopened schools are as critical as grocery stores, bus drivers, and post offices. But there just doesn't seem to be that understanding among the school board or some others in the district. Do you think it's because they they don't have young kids or any idea why there's that disconnect? You know, I don't know. I you know, today I I quizzed um, President Lopez on that again, and and she acknowledged that there is learning loss and that there are mental health issue issues associated with distance learning. Um, Commissioner Collins, I I asked her about her comment that said you know, distance learning isn't causing learning loss or uh, mental issue, mental health issues. She believes that it's it's other things that have always been there that are exacerbated in the pandemic that are causing those things. I think a lot of medical health professionals would disagree. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I think they see it. I don't know that it has sunk in or they feel like it in terms of putting it on a scale that, um, you know, it supersedes the safety and, and health uh, demands. Um, you know that exceed the the guidelines that are out there. Um, yeah, I just I think that there hasn't been urgency in the district um, that we've seen in other districts to at least try to reopen some schools for some students, even if you can't open them for all. And I think that that's more of an indicator of you know where where they are in this. Um, than even reopening all the schools. Um, you know, they, they've been reticent to even open up cafeterias to have students come in to access Wi-Fi or to come in in small groups to get, you know, help from volunteers. Um, you know, so, so they've, you know, they've, they've sort of pushed those things um, to the side, unlike other districts that have teachers coming in with small cohorts, even if schools aren't reopened. Well, um, I'm sure you have about 15 other stories to write um, (laughs) this evening. So I'll let you get to it. But thanks for joining me today. Sure. Anytime. Thank you to Jill Tucker for joining me today, to Karen Creighton for producing this episode, and to you for listening.